It's my time. Brother Howie preached a message the other night on uh, about a penny. I'm thinking that was a pretty good message. I'm like, how can I do better than that? I'm thinking, well, if I preach a message about a nickel, it would be at least five times better, right? That's about as much math as I can do. Um, if you could, get to chapter 4 of Daniel. And uh, I'm going to try and make this encouraging. I mean, I never try to discourage anybody, so that in and of itself will be encouraging, right? Uh, going through some stuff here, and I'm thinking, you know, as we're getting ready to head into a new year, everybody always, even even uh, last year, you know, if you don't take that into account, everyone's always looking for the next year to be to be better. Uh, everyone's always thinking, well, you know, the current year wasn't very good for whatever reason. They always think they're going to the next year will just automatically be better. Um, and especially this time a year ago, you know, when coming off of 2020, everyone was thinking, you know, 2021 has to be better. And uh, they're just wanting to get that thing put away, and as if as soon as that clock ticks, everything is just gonna just gonna transform, and, and, and all the bad's gonna go away, and everything's gonna be be new and happy and good with the with the changing of the calendar. And and what I realize is people need something to cling to, and and lost people were just looking for anything. They're 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 looking for uh, whatever it takes. Maybe it might be religion, or maybe uh, it, it's, it's a promise, or whether it's just the hope of a, of a date change on the calendar. They're just wanting something to cling to. You see, we have an assurance in Jesus Christ. We have something that they don't have. We, we have uh, uh, assurance that things will get better, but not in this lifetime. And see, we can get through that, and we can accept that because of Jesus Christ and what he has done in our hearts, because what he has done in our lives. Uh, the things that he has, he has worked through, uh, worked us through. Um, it dawned on me. There is only one second that separates 2021 from 2022. I mean, really, 11:59 and 59 seconds, it'll still be 2021. At 12 o'clock and zero seconds, it'll now become a new year. Well, folks, if you want things to be better, and if you want a better 2022, it's going to take more than one second. It's, it's, it's going to involve a little more than that. And, and I'm going to try and show you some things. And if you're open to the scripture, and if you're doing, going to do a little self-reflection, and you realize that some or all of this may apply to you, then I think you can have a better 2022. Now, I'm not talking about finances. I'm not talking about your health or your status or your job or the car that you drive. Okay? I'm talking about a better walk with Jesus Christ, a better personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Through his word, you can have that. And through that, you can get a better 2022. And rather than sitting here and just listing off a whole bunch of things that we should or should, you know, should do, I'm just going to look at King Nebuchadnezzar here in a few verses and look at some things that we should avoid doing. Let's start out in verse 27 of chapter 4 of Daniel. It says, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be, be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness and thy iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if, thou, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, 
They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. Lord God, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. I thank you, Lord, for the message we already heard. And, and uh, little uh, Brother Isaac just getting up here, and I thank you, Lord. That was a real blessing. And I just pray for all the preachers uh, coming the rest of the night. I pray you get the glory and honor from it. I ask you to move me out of the way now, Lord, and just uh, speak through me. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we see, and we're just going to be pretty much parked in verse 30 for the next few minutes. Uh, the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built? The first thing we see here is the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, he trusted in his own ability. What we need to come to the realization is our abilities are not of us. If we have anything, if there's anything good in us, if we can do anything, it's because God has allowed it. God has given us the ability to do that thing. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he did not... He did not understand that. He misplaced God's allowances for his own abilities. See, he thought he was able to conquer Jerusalem. He thought he was able to accomplish all these great feats in and of himself and what he had done. But he never for a moment stopped to think that any ability that he had could have come from somewhere or someone or something else other than him. He thought it was all about him. And like many today in, in the world in which we live, he was a narcissist. He was self-consumed. He was self-focused. And all he cared about was himself. And he thought that any good thing had to come from him. He didn't acknowledge God. And he surely wouldn't acknowledge that anything that he did could come from anywhere else other than him. He thought he was the only source. God allowed Jerusalem to fall. And he allowed the Israelites to be taken as captives as part of the judgment. See, God allowed all that thing. And he used King Nebuchadnezzar just as he had used Pharaoh. This book is really, is really weird. When you look and stop and, look, and you look at the things that God does, he does some really strange things. Now, I'm going to bring to light something here. And, and men, I don't suggest we do this. Okay, just trust me on this. When God does it, it's okay. It's righteous, and he's okay to do this. But this is not good for us to do. When you stop and think about the church, and the, 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 the church and, and, and the Christians today, we're the other woman. If you think about it, he's using us to make his chosen people jealous. It's weird when you put it in that context, but the modern day church is the other woman. He's using us, and that's okay. I'd rather be used by God than the world. Amen. Romans 11, 11 says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. See, we're all part of God's plan to get his people to turn their focus back on him. And I'm perfectly okay because at the end of the day, he says, I'm going to use you, but I'm still going to give you eternal life. And I'm going to give you salvation. In fact, I'm going to give you something for free that my people had to work for and had to, uh, to work to keep. So God's using us, but, but that's okay. That's a good way to be used. Um, he's doing it with, with, with a righteous intent. He's doing it in the right way. Um, but the, the thing we have to realize is, see, King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had never uh, uh, come to the realization that anything he had was not of himself. And secondly, we're going to look at his power. Uh, in the same verse, uh, by the might of my power. Power is kind of a funny thing. It can be temporary. 
and it can very easily be abused. So power is something you've got to be very careful with. I'm not talking about, you know, 120 volts or 220 volts. I'm, I'm talking about the power that you have, the authority that you have over others. Uh, the king wanted everyone to be fully aware and recognize his power and his authority. As we already said, he, he, we saw that he was a narcissist. When, when, along with that will go a thirst for power. Okay? He had a desire to be large and in charge. He wanted everyone to be aware of who he was. Uh, and there's a lot of people today. And it doesn't matter if it's in the church or if it's in the, the, uh, the, the workplace or you know, outside of those environments. It doesn't really matter. There's a lot of people that desire authority. And they desire not only authority and a position and that power, but they desire the authority over others. And they'll do it to the point where they will assert themselves and they will, they will self-proclaim, okay, a self-appointed authority because they just want that power so badly. And they'll, they'll appoint it over the younger people. They'll appoint it over younger Christians. And they'll appoint themselves over anybody that they can bully or guilt into doing what they would have them to do. They'll take, now, and you gotta, listen, you gotta realize, folks, I've been saved since 1998, saved and in church. I've been around for a few years now. I'm finally getting to the point where I can start saying that I have seen some things and I've seen some people and I, and I like to sit and I, I just watch people and I study people. So over the last 20 some years, I've seen people do these things. And I've seen them take scripture and use scripture out of context. I've seen them using it without any knowledge of what they were talking about. Uh, I've seen them use uh, examples from what they would have done in other churches. And I'm thinking, well, if it worked so well at so-and-so, why aren't you still at so-and-so? Why are you here trying to do what you say worked there? And they'll use all those things rather than Bible doctrine to persuade you. See, they won't go to the true Bible to, to get, uh, get their direction, to get their authority. See, they want that power. They want that authority. They want to assert themselves. I've seen it, and many of you probably have too. They'll assert themselves in a ministry that they've had absolutely nothing to do with. And then all of a sudden they'll get to the point where, where they, they just, when, when, when the green light goes and, and it's turned on and, and everything's getting ready to roll, whatever the ministry may be, they'll show up and they'll act large and in charge because they want people to recognize them. Even though they've had nothing to do with it, they've not been part of the groundwork, they've not sweat, uh, uh, shed one drop of sweat, and all of a sudden they want to get uh, that recognition. And what I've noticed is people like this, and they're very easy to spot, because when the pressure folds, usually they do too, and they're nowhere to be found. See, they want that power, but they don't want the responsibility that goes along with it. Power and authority is more than just about barking orders and lifting yourself up over others. There's a lot more to it than that. It requires leadership, and leadership requires humility, and humility requires an attitude of servitude. So in order for you to be a leader, and to have that power and that authority, you first learn, have to learn to serve, serve others. You have to learn, humble yourself. And that's the first way to pick out a, a, a self-appointed leader because there's no attitude of, of service about them. There's no humility about them. It's all about them. You're saying this is supposed to be encouraging. We're going to get to it. We, we really are. This is going to be encouraging. Last thing we're looking at here is the majesty, uh, the dignity. Um, he says there, and for the honor of my majesty. And I, I liken that to, to reputation. How much do you value your reputation? Now, I've heard a lot of people say, well, I don't care what others think about me. Look, if you're talking about what others think about you in regards to this world and how you handle yourself in this world, 
That's one thing. But if you, if you say you don't care about how others uh, uh, think about you in regards to, to being saved and being a Christian, then there's a problem because you should care about that. You should want to reflect Jesus Christ. Pastor used to say when I, when I first started coming here, and a lot of, one of the many things I didn't get at first was there's a difference between saved people and Christians, and I just thought they were all the same. And I realized that, no, you can be saved. You can make a profession of faith. You can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and never do anything Christ-like the rest of your life here on earth. Or you can, you can offer yourself up as a sacrifice, and you can start giving back, and you can start doing things for Jesus Christ that puts him in front of your own needs and wants. And that there is a Christian because you're reflecting Jesus Christ in your life. Your character, what's your character like? It should be above reproach. How, do you, how are you known? Are you known to be trustworthy? Do you more than just, do you just regurgitate scripture? Or has it made it from up here to down here? See, most people, most saved people aren't worried about their reputation as a Christian. But their reputation as an individual is more important to them. When you're, when you're around the water cooler or the coffee pot or the lockers or, or wherever it is that you hang out when you're not in church, wherever you're around people that aren't people that you go to church with, what's your language like? What's your humor like? How do you dress? Okay, are you the same person outside of church that you, there that you are in church? Are you the same person or are you different? How do you present yourself? See, all these things contribute to how people look at you and to what they think of you. Are you more concerned with your state among men or your state with Jesus Christ? I'm going to wrap it up here. I've got two minutes and 30 seconds. At some point in this room, before salvation, we were all a child of the devil. John 8, 44. Now, at the time that's, uh, that that's, uh, salvation, a spiritual circumcision occurred. Okay, your soul was separated from your flesh. Your soul can no longer sin. Okay, we know this but your flesh still can. And it's the sins of the flesh. Uh, it's the sins of the flesh that, <laughs> that break fellowship. Okay, It's the sins of the flesh that's going to create that, that distance between you and Jesus Christ. It's going to come between you and him. It's going to create that separation. Now, as we've gone through this story very quickly about King Nebuchadnezzar, you, can be, you might be thinking, well, that was a long time ago. That was a king. There was totally different circumstances. All right, so you get over there in Luke chapter 12, and Jesus Christ talks about the man that, that he, he uh, relied on his own abilities and his own power and his own majesty and dignity and all that, and he had to build bigger barns because of all that he created. And you're thinking, well, okay, maybe that's a little closer to my position, but there's, there's still too much of a gap. There's, there's really no connection. I mean, we are in the 21st century, right? We got cell phones, we're smart and stuff. And we got, we got commentaries and we got, we got people like Dr. Ruckman. We're, we're a lot more spiritual than they were back then. We're a lot more knowledgeable. I got a minute, quit ringing that thing. So. <laughs> All right. They started the clock wrong. Oh, okay. I was going by that thing. The last point I was going to make, though. Isaiah 14 talks about Satan. He's, uh, he's lifting himself up. Now, like I said, we were all children of the devil before salvation. So I want to encourage you as we head into the new year, and if you want that uh, relationship with Jesus Christ, read your Bible more. Pray more. Make sure the footsteps you're following in are those of Jesus Christ and not of your ex-father, the devil.
60 seconds. 